Welcome to the Fearless Fostering Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Burst, LCSW, a foster and adoptive and bio mama and a therapist in private practice. I'm here to help foster mamas feel seen, heard, and supported on their journey. From quick, actionable steps to make your foster care journey easier to interviews with foster and adoptive mamas, the Fearless Fostering Podcast delivers education and encouragement weekly. So let's get started. Welcome back to the Fearless Fostering Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Burst, LCSW, and I am so, so excited to have our former amazing social worker, Kayla Dos Santos, joining me today. Thank you, Kayla, for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I was super unsurprised when you said you were doing something like this because it's very you from what I know of you, uh, but very thrilled to to be here. Thank you so much. So I think, I think personally from a foster mom's perspective, there's just so much on the other side, on the DCF side that we just don't know and we don't see. And I was just kind of hoping that you could shed a little bit of light on what it looks like to be a social worker in DCF. It is crazy. (laughs) Number one. Um, No, but it's, it's definitely, like you said, I don't think anyone, whether it's a foster parent, client, some random person on the street, nobody understands. I don't think exactly what the job entails until you, you do it. Just little things that you really wouldn't even think about that social workers have to do day in and day out. Um, It's pretty crazy. But with that being said, there's obviously many moments that are very rewarding. And there's some days where you walk in and you have thought not a great day because this happened and this happened and this happened. But then there's also days where, you know, you an adoption goes through or you get to reunify a child uh, back home, things like that, where you're like, okay, today was a today was a good one. Um, or maybe you have a small breakthrough with a client that was, you know, you were having some some issues with things like that, that kind of make it worth it, I guess, in a way. Mm, that's so good. I feel like, I feel like you guys are like the most underappreciated, but most deserving of appreciation of like any type of social worker. And I am a social worker. So I say that knowing like there's all different types of social work, but I just can't even imagine like the day-to-day of what you guys have to do. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy because it's I mean, you literally it's I would say it's up there with like first responders and like doctors and the sense of like you don't know what you're walking into on any given day. Like you could have your entire schedule planned to a T at 8:30, I'm working on this document and then I have to go out for a visit at 9:30 and then this 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 you could have it laid out but at 8:15 you could get a call that some fire you need to, metaphorical fire you need to go put out. And that could be your whole day. And then poof, everything else on your schedule, forget about it. Now you have to reschedule everything, figure out when to do this, when to do that. And then same thing goes towards the end of the day where it could be 4.30 and you could have dinner plans at 5.30. But if you get a call at 4.45, guess what? You're not going to dinner that night. So that's one of like the tougher parts, I would say, is just kind of managing the unknown, if you will. Because you just have to operate as if, everything is going to go as planned, but you really never know if it will. So how do you keep boundaries around that? Because that feels like, like you said, like a doctor or first responder, like a boundaryless job where you're never able to have control for yourself. Yeah, it's, it's hard. And honestly, I think a lot of social workers definitely struggle um, with that. 
And it sounds funny, but a lot of it is like you could have a caseload where nothing happens for five months. It's just business as usual. Everything goes great. There's no emergencies, nothing. And then my coworker sitting next to me could have like less cases than me, but they could be dealing with an emergency every single day for a week. So I would say it's just kind of trying to stay as organized as possible. And when you do have time to do whatever it is that you need to do to, to get it done. I think that's one thing I was pretty good at was just like managing my my time and making sure that, you know, nothing was really late. I was always able to get like my work in on time because I was kind of always doing it ahead of time. Because if you wait till last minute, and then like I said, one of these emergencies popped up, you're screwed. I think that was one thing. That's something that definitely a lot of uh, workers probably struggle with because some of them maybe might have a much more difficult caseload where they don't just don't physically have the, the time or the energy to kind of keep it all in line. Yeah, it's, it's tough. And even when you're doing all of those things, like you did such an awesome job about caring for our family. Like I know that we got like hit the absolute jackpot with you because you were so organized, but you also cared so much about our family. Like it was evident when you came to a visit that you actually cared about our son. And that meant the absolute world to us. I was like, okay, we know we're in good hands, but how like emotionally draining is that for you? as you care about people's families in really difficult times. Extremely tough. And I think that I'm a very empathetic person. And I think that that was kind of, in some ways, a bit of a, not a downfall, that's not the right word, but um, because you do, <laughs> well, some of the families, like you guys, obviously, for example, I did, I loved, even though you guys live an hour away and it was a long drive there and back, I didn't mind because I just loved going to, to see you and see Jaden. And I think it's important to have that with your, um, not only with your foster families, but with your, your clients as well. And I think it really just makes it so much easier because don't get me wrong, there were definitely a few, I got very lucky with all of my foster families, but there were definitely a few that um, maybe weren't the fondest of me for whatever reason. And it's, it makes all the difference in the world and just how you're able to work the case. Like with you guys, again, you said you hit the jackpot with me and I know it's the same <laughs> me to you, which I told you that all the time, but um, it makes our jobs so much easier just knowing that because the there are certain foster families where you don't know what's going to happen on any given day. And a lot of times, especially if it's not a pre-adoptive home, where if something pops up, some emergency, you have to go take care of it, the, the worker. Whereas I knew with you guys, like if anything were to pop up, you guys had it under control and you guys would, you would call me and let me know if something happened. Thankfully, there were never any emergencies like that or anything, but I knew that if there were, you guys had it under control. And I knew I never was going to get a call at A15 being like, um, you need to come deal with this because, you know, and obviously all foster family situations are different if they have to, you know, go to work and, and this and that. But just, you, you know, when foster families are willing to go that extra mile, I'd say, for the child. And similarly, foster families know when social workers are willing to go that extra mile. So it absolutely is, it really is a give and take and it works both ways. And it's, it's just so important for uh, foster families and social workers to kind of have that, that give and take, because it makes all the difference in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, totally. 
So what can like foster parents do to make things a little bit easier for the social worker or just to make the job a little bit smoother or the case a little bit smoother for them? What are some of like your go-to things that you can think of? Um, I would say to just be, and again, this goes both ways, both parties, I would say to be flexible and definitely just to stay in communication, which I know that's kind of a lot of people, one people, a lot of people's complaints about social workers is some of them are, can be out of touch a lot, or, you know, you don't hear back from them for days, which is a total, totally understandable complaint. Cause I know that that happens, unfortunately. So I would say I've have found that when I was very available that I returned, I received that in return where I never had an issue, you know, getting in touch with foster families or anything like that. And maybe it was because maybe I just got lucky or maybe it was because I was giving that to them as well. But I would say to just make sure you're available and to be flexible. I know that obviously there are certain situations, like I said, if a foster mom or foster father is working, they work a job, you know, an hour away and they don't get home until 6 p.m., things like that. But, you know, to keep in mind that then that means we have to then go out at 6.30 once a month every, you know, which isn't the end of the world. If it has to happen, we totally understand. But I would say to just be as, as flexible as possible and don't kind of make it a thing where it's like, no, you have to come at this time and that's it. I can't do any other time because that also does happen. And it can be, that can be tough because then we kind of have to, you know, work the whole schedule and we're already dealing with all this other stuff, then you have to kind of work around um, that schedule. And again, in some situations, it's totally necessary just based on whatever the foster family has going on, but if possible um, to just kind of be flexible in that way, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes total sense. There's, like you said, so many fires and things that come up that you can't, mm-hmm. you have no way of knowing. Right. So, and it's so hard, I think too, from like the foster parent perspective, because all we see and know is our own case. And we don't even know mm-hmm. a lot necessarily about that right. until things are just about to happen. So to really think about that, you guys are, you know, doing so much for so many people, like those things are things that I didn't think about necessarily when you were our, our social worker, like that you would be driving, picking up someone's kids and like taking them. So I'm like, not only are you doing the Right. Documentation and the visits and the court and all that, but you're doing that stuff too. That's like, I mean, there's a lot of, I would say the majority of cases where kids are in care and foster homes. Again, I, I cannot speak to this because I was extremely lucky with all of my foster homes. The majority of them were pre-adoptive. So they were very dedicated to the, to the children, but there's a lot of cases, a lot of my coworkers, they have to bring them to every single doctor's appointment, you know, like in the middle of the day, go pick them up from school, bring them to the doctor appointment, sit there with them in the doctor's office, bring them back to school or home or wherever, wherever they're at. And then that's three hours, three, four hours out of your day right there, um, depending on how far you got to drive. So um, yeah, it's things like that, that people definitely don't realize that we do every single day. That's just one example of something that That it's so time consuming, but it's necessary, obviously. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Hey guys, I just wanted to let you know really quickly about some amazing free resources for foster mamas on my website, fearlessfostering.com. I have a self-care quiz that will help you decide exactly what type of self-care you need at this point on your foster care journey, as well as a virtual retreat for foster mamas and an anxiety reducing email course, all for free. Check it out right now on fearlessfostering.com. What would you say are some like benefits that foster parents should know about and, or just like 
things that could help them as they, you know, start fostering or just maybe some things they're not aware of? Um, so I would say that always talk to your social worker about what services are, are out there because there are a lot of, you know, case management services that you could benefit from if you're feeling like you need that support. But that's, you know, as soon as you're assigned, you know, you get a child comes to you and you get assigned a social worker, have those conversations. And it might not even be necessarily something that you need at that moment. But once the honeymoon honeymoon phase is over, you know, a couple months down the road. So that could be something like um, just like a like I said, a case management service where, say, you have a an 11 year old child, just say, and maybe they're not fitting in so well at school or something. This some um, agency might be able to maybe identify a after school activity or a camp or some pro-social activity in the community that maybe this child could could go to to kind of, you know, make some friends, things like that. Just one example. But I would say for therapeutic foster care, which is when children that uh, have special needs, usually they always, always are come with some sort of service like that because they need, the foster parents definitely need some additional support in those situations. So those are definitely services that are available when it's um, not a child with with special needs. So I would say just kind of be willing to ask, or maybe it's even something where you're seeing something at home, and maybe you think the the child say they're they're a little older and they've dealt with some trauma. Maybe they maybe they're not currently in any sort of mental health treatment, but you're seeing like little things that you're like mm, this is a little bit concerning. Have those conversations with with your worker because then we have um, avenues that we can go to, people that we can talk to, to say, to kind of have just a consult and say, okay, these are the behaviors that we're seeing. Do you think this child needs any any treatment? And if so, then we kind of take the necessary steps to, and work with you guys to see, okay, what's in the area? You know, would you be okay with maybe bringing them to an appointment once a week or or whatnot? And we have those conversations with you guys to identify what would be right for them. Okay. That's so good to know. Cause I feel like we were really lucky without, you know, needing a bunch of services. But I think that um, one thing that I kind of was like unsure about at first was, I don't know if it's okay to, you know, use services or ask for services, or I don't know, I feel like it's something that it's really important, like you said, to advocate for the child and just say, if we see a need, bring it up. It doesn't mean anything. It just means that Mm -hmm. we're going to try to do the best thing for this child. So, right. Because then you can at least say if the social worker has that conversation and maybe the, our clinician who makes those decisions says like, no, I think that's pretty age appropriate. I don't think it's anything serious. And then we come back and tell you that, then you can say, okay, well, you know, I, I let you guys know. And then God forbid it gets maybe worse Mm -hmm. three months later, you know, then you can say, yeah, well, remember I told you three months ago that these, (laughs) these behaviors were happening Um, as opposed to if it's five months later now and something huge, you know, this child has some huge emotional breakdown that seemingly comes out of nowhere, but it probably really wasn't out of nowhere. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Well, that's so good to know. One last question, just um, what encouragement or advice would you give for foster parents as they're doing this thing that is not always easy, not ever really easy, but just very rewarding? What would you say? I would say to definitely be open and willing to taking in a child that maybe doesn't fit your description of what a foster child would be 
mm-hmm. um, whether that be age, uh, race, ethnicity. You know, we we know as social workers, it's super easy to place a baby. You can, it takes about 30 seconds to find a placement for a baby. Whereas these teenagers and adolescents, it's it's tough sometimes. And sometimes, unfortunately, they go to placements that they probably shouldn't just because I mean, like congregate care settings or things like that, just because we don't have any other placements for them because no one's, you know, who wants this quote unquote broken child that's Mm. dealt with all this trauma and they're going to be a handful. And, you know, really that's just not, not the case. They just need some stability. And then the same goes for children of different races and ethnicities. Uh, We know through data statistics that children of color are insanely disproportionately uh, represented in care. There's Mm -hmm. far more children of color in care than there are white children. So I would say just to kind of be, you know, like I said, be open and willing. And then once you do have, you know, say you do take in a child of a different um, race or ethnicity, then just kind of be cognizant of that and be open and understand that this child is, is a different uh, race or ethnicity than than you and your family, which I will say, just give you guys a shout out. You were great about that. Just kind of recognizing the need to kind of keep Jaden connected to his Hispanic. And when I had that conversation with you, you were already all over it. You're like, no, no, <laughs> I know, I know. So, you know, things, things like that, I would say, um, just kind of be, be open and willing. And because there's so many different children that really do need your help and they probably maybe don't fit the ideal quote-unquote perfect foster child this fairy tale you guys like I said you you guys hit the jackpot with with him and you got (laughs) extremely lucky um but just kind of understanding that and it might be tough from time to time both dealing with the stresses which I'm sure you've spoken on numerous times on this podcast, just the stressors of foster care in general, but then also dealing with anything that any behaviors that the child might be having because of, you know, whatever it is that they're going through, um, just being patient and, and understanding. I love that. That's so good. I, it was so funny that you bring up culture because I have someone else coming on in a couple of weeks to talk about just fostering, you know, someone of a different race or ethnicity and what that would look like and, and how important mm-hmm. it is, like you said, and I was actually so thankful that you really did emphasize the importance of keeping that culture because we felt strongly about it anyway, but we really did. Like, I was thankful to have someone from on the DCF side be like, like, I know you're saying this to everyone, like you should be caring about the culture aspect because it's something that I think people can just, I don't know. I feel like a lot of like, maybe especially white adaptive parents are like, Oh, love is enough. Love is enough. And like, yes, love Mm -hmm. is awesome. Love is great. But this child if they're a different race or ethnicity than you, there's just different stuff that goes with that. And so how are we as parents going to look out for the best interest of the child and say, our family is embracing this culture. We want to include and like celebrate this in our family. Mm-hmm. So I love that. Yeah. And I think that's, that's one of those situations where you hear people be like, well, you know, we, we don't see color. They're just our child, but like you have to see color in that situation because they are a different color. So when they're, you know, seven years old sitting in a classroom, maybe with a bunch of other children who do not look anything like them, they're going to be a little confused. And if you don't have those proactive conversations with them, like I know you will have with with Jaden, then it's going to be there. It's going to be very confusing for them. That's, that's just the reality, the reality of it. 
Yeah. I think we do a huge disservice as parents, if we, and just humans, as if we're like, we don't see color, right. like color is color. We do there. It's there. Yeah. You do see it and we mm-hmm. all see it and we need to acknowledge it and, you know, enter into conversations that make us uncomfortable, you know, mm-hmm. just be willing to grow because that's the best thing for those kids is to have someone who's willing to humble themselves and be like, okay, teach me this. I don't know. And right. always be learning. Cause more. it's not, it's not about the foster parents at that exactly. point. Um, no. so. <laughs> exactly. Right. Mm. I love that. Thank you for bringing that up. That's so good. And just thank you for being here. I appreciate you taking the time out. I know you've moved on to bigger and better things, but we're just so appreciative of, of what you have done for our family and just thankful for this conversation. I'm so happy to have played a little role in, uh, you know, big role getting Jaden. <laughs> well, maybe and getting Jaden with you guys. Um, definitely, probably, I would say the highlight of, of my few years um, at that job. So, yeah, it's definitely a highlight of, of being there. Well, thank you. You're the best. Good luck with everything. Of course. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks for having me on.